You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Beer52.com. Every month, Beer52 sends a new case of beer with a different theme, usually from a different part of the world. And now they're offering Stop Hammer Time listeners a free case of craft beer. That's eight delicious craft beers from some of the best breweries on the planet. Simply go to www.beer52.com, that's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer and cover the £5.95 for postage to claim your beer now. Members have tasted beer from 40 different countries spanning five continents. You also get a magazine which delves into the theme, beer and producers and two tasty snacks to wash down with your beer. You can choose a case of light beer only or a mixture of dark and light. There's no minimum commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time. Don't forget, that's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer to claim your free case now. That's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. Uh, it's me, I'm Mark Sandell in the chair. It may well be Phil Williams in the chair. He's trying to get his computer connected to the Wi-Fi and various Bluetooth, and it's it's not working at the moment. So myself and Jim Grant will be holding the fort. He may well join us, Phil, if he can, you know, get it all sorted out. But most importantly, we have a really special guest on Stop Hammer Time today, Mr. Tony Carr. Good evening, sir. Uh, good evening. Pleasure to be here. Now, how many years' service have you given our great club, Tony? How many years was it? Well, I did four years as a young player, up to reserve team level, uh, signing professional and not really making it, so to speak, but great times. And then um, I had a, a few years away, and then because of circumstance injury, I got invited back as a part-time coach. Uh, and from that point, um, I did 43 years unbroken service. So, if I include the four years as a young player, 47 years of my working life, um, and I only had 50, <laughs> were, were, were West Ham United. You know, so, very proud of that well, to, fact. And, 
towards the forty third year, you must have been getting a bit of a feel for the place, Tony. You know, yeah, I was starting to get, I was starting to feel comfortable. <laughs> Feet under the table by then. <laughs> not, not quite, but uh, yeah, I know, I, I know my way around the place anyway. <laughs> Now, it's a great pleasure to, to, and thanks ever so much for your time. Now, obviously, the reason we're talking to you is, Tony, is you have a book out very shortly. Yes. Is it going to be warts and all, hard-hitting, naming names, Tony? Is it going to be that kind of a book? No, unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's just a, you know, obviously, there's one or two little bits in there that people might think, well, why has he said that? Uh, but, no, nothing that... that uh, will grab the headlines on the back of the sun or anything. But um, certainly it's just a factual um, document of my life. It really is. And my association with West Ham, as I say, 47 years uh, as a player and and, and coach there. Um, And really, um, West Ham, up to the point I left, my last manager was Slaven Bilic. And um, up until that point, West Ham had had uh, 15 managers in their whole history. Mm. And, I, and I'd worked for 12 of them at that point. Nice. And the only, the only three I didn't work for was Sid King, Charlie Painter, and, um, <laughs> and um, Ted, Ted Fenton. And when Ron took over from Ted, that's, you know, I came in, you know, a few years into Ron's um, uh, tenure there. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, you, you, um, you had a very strong and close relationship with, with John Lyle, didn't you? And, and yes, yes. Your, both your playing careers sadly ended in the same way, didn't they? You both, you both broke your legs, basically, and weren't able to, to carry on playing. Yeah. And he invited mm. you to the club. Is that right, Tony? He invited That's right. You I mean, in. When I was a player, he was my youth team coach. So he was my coach when I was a young 15-year-old uh, starting out. He was my youth team coach. But obviously... He became Ron's. Uh, Ron Green was right hand man, and um, he went on. And but when when I left the club, you know, he, 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 him and Ron introduced me to coaching. They encouraged me to take my coaching badge when I was eighteen years old, uh, with, with a lot of all the young players and some of the pros there at the club. We did a, a pros course, as they called it, and I passed. I was fortunate enough to pass the preliminary coaching badge, which it was at the time. It's now the equivalent of the UA for B, and. Um, John would have remembered that. And when, when I left the club, he said to me, why don't you go on and do your full licence? So I said, well, he said, well, I'll get you on the course. So he got me on the course at Lillyshaw. And um, he knew I had a keen interest in, in coaching because I was starting to do bits in the schools in the afternoons when I was a player there, which a lot of other players did. And um, he had heard that I'd broken my leg and I was struggling to get back fit. I was without a club at this point now. And um, he rang me up and said, "Look, I don't know how you're fixed, but we got a little we got a little number here at the, the club. Um, would you fancy coming back part time? Now, if you want to start playing again, this will help you get fit anyway." And and that's how it started. So it was John that instigated one my coaching, take my coaching badges, and invited me back to the club. And I had to have an interview with Ron Greenwood at the time, who it was always Mister Greenwood and him. They you never ever called him Ron. You know, he was never that formal because John was. Ron was the Ron was very headmaster like, mm. whereas John was more approachable and, and you know we were closer to, to him. But Ron was a little bit distant to all the players. That's the way he was. Very knowledgeable coach, but so that's the way he was. So um, yeah, and then um, I did seven years part time, and then in 1980, John asked me if I wanted to come full time, and uh, so I did. 
So that's how it all started, really. Brilliant. And talking of West Ham legends, uh, you know, someone who's put as much service into this podcast as you did to the club is Phil Whelans, and he now joins us. Hello, everyone. Uh, Finally got uh, my... my, uh, They were doing doing some roadworks out in the week, and they went through the uh, electricity main or something, so everything went off. I lost my Wi-Fi, and then my computer couldn't find the Wi-Fi when everything came back on, but now I'm here. Um, Okay. I, I love I love all those stories with John Lyle, like you know him sort of parked in a layby on the A1 with his car filling up with cigarette smoke as he tries to persuade some kid from Tranmere to come down to London, or him driving 200 miles up to sit in the parents' kitchen of some player to sort of try yeah. and coach into the club. He sort of comes out of the mists to change people's lives and stuff. It must have been. What, what did you think when that phone call came in, Tony? Did you think it was, it was something you could do? I know you, you you had a qualification in sort of PE instruction, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I was working at the same time as I was... Because when I left West Ham, I went part-time football because the, the offers I had to go into a full-time, it didn't appeal to me. And um, No. So I took an offer to play for Barney, who were, who were part-time, and so I got a job in the schools. And it was Ron Greenwood that helped me get that because he introduced me to the guy that one of the teachers who was the head of the PE department. But because I had a football co- football coaching qualification, that, and that enabled me to assist the PE department uh, right. in the winter months. And then right. uh, and that's how I started. I got two schools in North London. And, um, and I was training with Barney in the evenings and playing on the weekend. And um, so when, I, when John asked me to come and um, do part-time with the schoolboys, was I? I don't think I, I didn't really hesitate, but I thought well, I might be a bit young, and will I get respected and etc. Yeah. etc. Mm. So um, I just went into it, bullet a gate, and went into it and said. And Ron, Ron's instruction to me, he didn't give me a coaching manual and said this is the West Ham way. He just said, yeah. just coach the way you were coached when you were here. That's all he said to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I said, okay. <laughs> Because and, and you were 23, we weren't you? You were only yeah. 23 yeah, at the time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 23 years old. And, um, so it, it was quite unique in that respect. And, um, and obviously learning on the job. And there's nothing like, um, I mean, if you're going to become a good coach, you've got to put the hours in. And what yeah. happened, because I did that seven, ten years at the school, it was ten years at the schools when I went full-time, I'd already had uh, uh, several years at the schools and you're coaching every day. Uh, although it's not with talented <clears throat> kids in the main, you're coaching, you're learning to organise, you're learning to get groups together, you're learning to put practices together. So um, that, developed, that developed me, that developed my organisation, et cetera, et cetera. Then it's about experience and knowledge, and, and uh, you learn as you go along, like in the walks of life, really. So that, that's how it started. But in, in a funny sort of way, I, I, I felt more comfortable when I was coaching more confident than I did when I was playing. I felt under pressure when I played. Yeah. You know, especially at a big club like West Ham United, as it was. It was my own club, my team I'd supported as a boy, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt under pressure. And, and then went, and when that went a bit pear-shaped, because I didn't make it as such, um, I, I lost a little bit of the the excitement, the love of it a, a little bit. And mm. the, when, I, when I was on the coaching pitch, dictating and coaching, I come alive a little bit, and, I, and yeah. I, you know, in in some ways, I had a decision to make. You know, twenty three, do I go into coaching or do I carry on playing at some level? 
and I, and I just made the decision to go into coaching, and because um, that's where I felt most comfortable. Mm. And, um, and I suppose, in some ways, in in a lot of ways, it paid off for me. Yeah. Did you feel that there were were sort of um, you know habits in coaching in the way that kids would coach that that you know needed changing or needed overhauling? Did you could you identify anything that you thought I'd like to change this? I'd like this not to be that way. Um, that's a good question, really. Not in the early days because oh. I just followed, you know, how I had been coached. Yeah, how yeah. I'd been, I just followed that. But but as you develop over 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 a period of time, whether it be a number of seasons. You start to see things that you, you see. Well, I think that's right. I want to change that, or um, I'm not sure we do enough work defensively. Then we, you know, we do a lot of work, you know, in the offensive mode in terms of attacking and how we can create and technical ability with the ball. But we didn't really do enough without the ball. And I always tried to redress that and do and do a lot more defensive work where we would we, we were good with the ball and then we would. A, a bit better than we were without the ball. In other words, you know, trying to win it back, defending. Yeah. So I suppose I looked at it a little bit that way. Because Ron and John, and all, all the time I was at the club being coached, and a lot of players have said this, I can never remember us doing defensive defensive work ever. No. John, John and Ron, it was always about what you did with the ball. Yeah. And if you, if you were good enough with the ball, um, let the opposition worry about you. That made us, sure. Tony, didn't yeah. it? An incredibly entertaining side to watch in those days. Yes. I mean, like we, yeah. we all love, you know, we, we, me and Fu used to be on the North Bank. We used to love going. But do you think, on balance, look, looking back, that maybe it, it, it that was one of the things that held the club back in, in terms of just winning trophies and achieving? To, I mean, obviously, we had the two cup wins under under Prima, yeah. but. Do, do you think that was a factor that 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 we could you know that every so often we just get turned over by get bullied out of games a bit and, and yeah, not I be think so good without the ball? No, I think so. Looking back now, I'd look at it and say, um, I know the game has changed and the game has evolved. You know, with high pressing there and everybody working and doing their bit. You know, and, but it was um, something that I think was lacking, especially when we was away from home. At home, we'd probably have our own against most. But away from home, we always had that tag of that tag of being a little bit of a soft touch, mm-hmm. and, um, and I think that was because of, you know, we probably didn't do enough work on defending, being harder to beat, being a little bit more um, defensive minded when we were away from home until the game starts to open up a little bit, you've mm-hmm. weathered the storm, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then you can perhaps express yourself as a team, as a, as individuals. But certainly, um, yes, I think that needed addressing. I must admit, and it. And if Ron had one fault as a coach, that, that, and he didn't have many because he was a top, top coach. There's no two ways about that. What Ron didn't know about the game ain't worth knowing, to be yeah. honest. That's the truth. And, and John was his protege and, and was his really, his, his, uh, you know, his double, really, in terms of carrying on that legacy. Um, and John addressed that. When, when John took over, John addressed that. He, he started to look at players that had had more of aggressive streaks. I'm thinking of Keith Robson and people like that. Yeah. You know, the more aggressive streaks mm. that, you know, could win the ball back for us and yeah, and, and so on. So um, I think John tried to address that over the years he, you know, when he took over and became, it became his team, especially when Ron left to take the England job in yeah. 77, I believe, somewhere around that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was something John definitely tried to address and, and was better at 
when you know I became full time and saw him working day to day. There was more was work on that. Yeah. What was it like when when Lyle when Lyle went in in eighty nine and then Macari came in? Was that a a bit of a culture shock for 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 the for the club because he obviously had slightly different ways of on that subject, Jim. On that yeah. subject, Jim. So, Tony, you went you went for the job, didn't you? Didn't you go for the yes, job? Yes. Yeah. Macari was appointed. Well, I just thought, well, John's gone and uh, no one knew what the future was going to bring. And um, for the very first time, and I'm not, and that sounds a bit funny, but I, I realised, Christ, I'm on my own now. You know, when I say on my own, you know, I haven't got a manager to protect me now. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Et cetera. So I just felt, I'll let, I'll put, I felt vulnerable, let's put it that way. So I thought, well, you know, if a new manager comes in, he's going to sweep the place out. And I'll probably lose my job anyway. And, uh, I might as well apply for the job. So I applied for the job and I got an interview, to be fair to the board, I got an interview. And, um, but it wasn't to be and they, they appointed Lou. And um, it, it was it was like chalk and cheese. Yeah, I thought. It, yeah, yeah. Overnight, overnight, it was chalk and cheese. Yeah. He, he, was, he was a good man. He was a really good football man. He was a good man. And he, he knew players and he knew the game, obviously. Played at, a, played at the top level. But... <laughs> He tried to he tried to change things too, in my opinion, too quickly. Mm. Um, and I suppose he had the brief get us back in in the first division as it was then. So I suppose he was in a hurry to get things changed, and he, he felt the club the, the players weren't fit fit enough, their diets weren't good enough, and he was he was paranoid about those two things: fitness and diet. He was <laughs> so he, he bought he, in Julian Dix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it, you know, you can, you know, you, how do you... Um, I mean, the, the signings you know, around he, them were good, though, weren't they? Did he yeah. bring in... Was that's, it, did that's, he bring that's one. Yeah, he brought McCloskey. Yeah. yeah. He brought McCloskey in. And, um, um, Bishop and Morley. Bish, Bish and Morley. Bishop, Bishop and Morley. Yeah, he brought them over. Yeah. Um, I always remember. You know, we they, were, they, they yeah. were fantastic signings, really, when you think about it, he, weren't he they? He brought Martin Allen. Mm. I went, yeah, I another went, great I, signing. I, I went with him to the hotel to meet Martin. We met him, Martin, in Reading. And Lou yeah. said, come with me. He said, um, you know more about the club than I do. So, because Mick McGiven had left um, because he just couldn't see eye to eye with, with uh, Lou. And I think he had that offer of another job at Chelsea, which he took and resigned. And it was a shock to everybody that he took the Chelsea job. But, you know, that's Mick looking after Mick. That's no, no, no problem for that at all. Mm. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, so I went with uh, Lou to Reading to speak to Martin and and, and, it, and Lou started Martin I started asking questions and Lou didn't know the answer he simply told tell, tell Lou Martin what what the rate wage structure is and I didn't have a clue yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what the wage structure was I, well it wasn't my brief I wasn't to, I didn't deal with contracts with first team players and um, now he was so Lou but at the end of the day Martin signed so that was good he signed Morley he signed Bishop he signed yeah. Ludic McClosco and unfortunately, Ludwig McCloskey's first game was swindling away on the game Lou didn't turn up to. And, <laughs> that, was, yeah. That, yeah. and that was his last game because it was yeah. the, the Oldham game was on the Tuesday or you know, the fateful Oldham game. Yeah, gotcha. Um, in, the, in the League yeah. Cup. And, yeah. um, and that was a shambles on the night. But you know, the result was the shambles and the organisation around it was a shambles. But that's another story for another day, maybe. But yeah. But but that was Lou's last game, and um, the only words Lou, Ludo did not know one word of English. So he was in the dressing room. He was changed. He's getting ready. 
So it was me, Billy Bonds, and Ronnie Boyce there. Uh, Bonzo would, and, and Boise basically were caretakers for the day. And we had to tell the players that Lou, Lou was not well. And none of them believed it anyway. And um, I was there to just, you know, because all hands to the pump, really, so to speak. Yeah. So I went with a team at Swindon. And we were trying to teach, at past two, three o'clock kickoff, we were trying to teach Ludo some English. So we was just saying, all you need to learn, the ball comes in the box, just say keepers and it's yours. So the first words of English he knew was keepers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't the best of starts, but, uh, it, you know, he was a great servant for us and he was a great, great, uh, great professional, Ludo. Trained hard, worked hard. Yeah, fantastic. Really, really good professional. Yeah, yeah. Tony, you, you, you know, when you mentioned that the, when John Lyle went, you felt you didn't sort of have any kind of protection from, from above. Um, obviously, being in the job for sort of 40 years, there must have been, you know, some great periods and less great periods. I mean, when the Premier League came in, a lot of clubs really sort of took a lot of attention away from their youth setups because they just started to go, well, we can invest that same money and just buying foreign imports in those positions yeah. and not, not growing, you know, new players from below. I mean, can you, can you, I know it's a, I know it's a very general question because specifics are obviously in your book, um, a lifetime in football at West Ham United published by Icon books, which I've ordered Jim. I know Thank you, you ordered it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Buy it the second it comes out, everyone. 7th of April, 7th of April it's out. Um, but but can you, were there sort of periods where you felt that the youth team was sort of not um, prioritised by the powers that be, you know, the people that ran the club? And then other periods where it was stronger, obviously around yeah. the time of, the, you know, Rio and Frank and then Carrick and Cole, those two periods yes. were, were great periods for the youth team. Uh, and what, what do you think made the, the, the periods that were not so good, less good, and the ones that were perhaps golden years good? Yeah, good question. It's difficult to pinpoint exact yeah. sort of seasons and, and times. But it, there was, a, what I felt was the game was developing. The Premier League had come in. West Ham weren't in the Premier League in the first season. Yeah. Uh, we were in... Uh, What's it called? The Championship. Yeah. And, um, and I just felt that other clubs, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, all our, what we would consider our big rivals for the best players in the London area. Even Crystal Palace to a certain degree, because they had uh, quite a monopoly on South London, especially around the Croydon area. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just felt that they were developing, but we weren't. We were, we, we had stood, we hadn't invested in, 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 facilities for one we hadn't invested in you know in, in scouts and and we had scouts but people would clubs were doubling their scouting networks so in other words they were then doubling their areas that they were working yeah if they were all infiltrating it west Ham was basically east london and essex yeah and, and these clubs were infiltrating our areas and it was it was a frustration for me that we weren't moving with those with those times, yeah, we still had we still had success, you know, from our time in the seventies, you know, um, you know, we got to the FA Youth Cup final in seventy five. I was Ronnie Boyce's assistant then, yeah, you know, and some good players come out of that: Alvin Martin, Jeff Pike, Terry Herlock, and, and one or two others names that escape now. I think even was Paul Brushy in there, I can't remember, um, or even. Brushy and Alan Kirby, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Area. Brush, Jeff Pike, yeah, yeah. All, all that. So, yeah. so that was quite a productive uh, 
mm. decade. And then the 80s, when I first came full-time, our, our production line was about Paul Allen, Stuart Slater, Paul Ince, uh, Bobby Barnes. Uh, names escape me, but yeah, it, it, yeah. Matthew Rush. You know, he mm. might have been a bit later, but George Paris, Alan Dickens. You know, so there was a few players that had gone on and in the 90s and so on. But there was lulls between that. When I'm yeah. saying lulls, there was like maybe three or four seasons we wasn't getting anybody anywhere near the um, first team squad. Yeah. You know, it was like get, finish their scholarship, their apprenticeship, and they all got released because they weren't good enough, unfortunately. As much as hard, matter how hard you tried to sort yeah. of uh, get them you know, on that ladder of success. And I think a lot of it was down to uh, our scouting wasn't up to the standard of <coughs> other clubs. We had good yeah. scouts. I mean, Jimmy Hampson came in, who was terrific. You know, Jimmy Neighbour, uh, Jimmy Neighbour came in, Jimmy Hampson came in. And when, when Harry took over as manager, you know, he, he had seen it from a distance, you know, being yeah. a, a, a ex-West Ham player. And the, one of the first things he, 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 he said is, you're not aggressive enough. You know, you've got to ramp up the scouting. You're not aggressive. We're local kids are getting through. Ray Parler, Tony Adams, all local kids. Romford, Tony. Uh, Tony Adams was barking boy. Ray Parler was, a, you know, the Romford Pele and, and so on. So we were losing very, very good players because Arsenal were in that area and, and, and cherry-picking the best players. And we were losing yeah. out because we, we wasn't getting out there um, enough. And we weren't aggressive enough. And I think Harry's drive, you know, we, we we had a big meeting about it. And the club backed us at that point to increase the number of scouts and to to make it a more aggressive approach. Because West Ham had the reputation of doing things, and I don't mean this in an underhand way, but doing things nicely. Whereas scouting can be very dark in a lot of respects in terms of underhand. I'm not saying so much incentives, but, you know, trying to nick players of other clubs, and whispering in parents' ears and, and offering small inducements about expenses for travel and stuff like that. And um, so we, we had to compete with that, what was going yeah. on, and we did that, mm. and we mm. did that. We started to get scouts in South London, and for me, that worked very, really, really well. We've got Rio, we've got Anton. Yeah. We've got, yeah. we got the Tunis, Stanislas. We've got uh, Kevin Horlock. Uh, oh, Defoe, got, Defoe. Jermaine was, although yeah. we, we knew him at Charlton. Yeah. Uh, Jermaine was an East London boy, but played for Charlton. Right. Um, uh, and we started to become more aggressive in those areas. We started to pick up some really good players. Uh, even uh, Gary Alexander, who was a really good striker. Didn't quite mm. make West Ham's first team. Mm. But you look at his career, he went on and scored goals at Millwall and clubs, yeah. you know, at the lower division, scored a lot of goals. You know, we, we attracted these these type of players, plus our East London and now we and then that we with Joe, Frank, Michael from the North East, Carrick that is, uh, uh, and Glenn Johnson from Dartford, uh, another South London boy. So we, we now we we, we we was going through what would consider a real golden period. Tell me, how did someone like Carrick end up, you know, because obviously, you know, he's sort of Wall's End, Boys Club and all that. Your Newcastle yeah. are, are, are famed, in, in, you know, in much yeah. as, the, as West Ham for, for bringing young players through. So 
Well, you know, it, what was the pro? How did that happen? How did that come about? Well, it came about. We had a scout in the northeast, um, and Jimmy Hampson, um, who had taken over as head of youth recruitment, um, had this scout in the northeast. His name is in my book, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And he used to bring on a regular basis boys down from the northeast during school holidays. So he'd have got four boys that I think are really good. Can I bring them down? Yeah, bring them down. We know we look after them, put them in, put them in digs for a few days, and we, we, we know they can join in the training with the other groups of that age group during school holidays. And Michael came down with with um, with, with one of these groups, and he'd also um, been over to Chelsea and uh, looked at Chelsea. And Michael tells me the story. He said that uh, his mum and dad didn't feel comfortable at Chelsea. They felt that at that time, Chelsea felt that um, we're doing you a favour, letting you come in. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They were, they were a little bit big time. And um, when his mum and dad walked into Chadwell Heath, as basic as it was, there was a smile on people's faces. There was a cup of tea on the brew. And they felt welcomed and they felt comfortable. And he said, it was always my decision whether what club I would choose he said, but I knew my mum and dad were really comfortable coming to West Ham. And I chose West Ham and my mum and dad were really pleased because they knew that we would look after him. And so it proved. And I said to Michael, why didn't you sign for Newcastle? And he said, all his mates were Newcastle fans. All his, all, his, all the talk up there was, you're going to play for Newcastle. You're going to do this for Newcastle. He said, I just felt under too much pressure. So he mm-hmm. said, I thought coming away from, from that pressurised right. environment might do me good. I could, I could develop you know, quietly, if you like, unknown. And I suppose he was a bit lucky, yeah, Joe Cole and his team, that yeah. took, the, took, yeah. took, took, took the limelight off Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, that's a very mature way for a man of that age to be thinking, isn't it? Yeah, really? exactly. Yeah. But that was yeah. Michael. He's uh, yeah. quite a mature lad, even at that age. Yeah. Tony, you, you mentioned that thing about, you know, you, you come to Chapel Heath and there's a cup of tea on the go. And, you know, we, growing up watching West Ham in the 60s and 70s, we always had this thing that, West Ham felt like a family club, and it was something that was always said that yes. you know, it's a family club. Did I mean, you know, John Lyle being found a job, for example, within yeah. the club, you know, and yeah. there were examples like that. Did it actually feel like that, or was that was that yeah, a kind most, of a, no, a bit we, like an old Hovis commercial? You know, no, no, that, no, it, no. It was it, we worked at that. You now, in terms of, I inherited uh, what John had created and Ron had created because they'd moved on by this point. You know, John had, um, was now the manager or slightly later than that. You'd, you know, he'd got sacked and moved on to Ipswich. But um, certainly it was something that we we felt that we what we couldn't offer in perhaps state-of-the-art facilities, we could offer in a more uh, relaxed, friendly, open, welcoming environment. And I think that came across with a lot of the people that we speak to, parents we spoke to. And if you, you interviewed some of the players nowadays, the older players that's gone on and gone through it, they would say that. Oh, it was like, you know, family. You, that was always, everyone knew your name. You was always welcome. I mean, don't get me wrong, the coaching was serious and the coaching was professional. But it was the, the environment with the staff. You know, there was, you know, it was important. It was, you know, there was a smile on people's faces. And, and you got to know every, get to know everybody's name because it's important when they walk in the door Oh, hello, James. How are you doing? How are you doing? How's the boy? How's Freddie? How's he doing? How's he doing? 
I, I already had an exam last week. How do you get on and you know get to know the parent and get yeah. you know to know intimately what they're doing and what you know what you know where they come from, what problems they might have. Find out if they're a one-parent family. Find out if they come on a bus or they come in a car because not everybody comes in a car with parents. Some have to get on buses. You yeah. speak to Rio. And he said his first time he ever got to Chabali, he had to get three buses, a train and a couple of, a couple of buses. And he said, oh, I ain't going back there again. And uh, after that, and he took a bit of persuasion for him to come back. And frankly, Frank Lampard Sr. was uh, a big instigator in that. And obviously he developed a friendship with Frank Jr. as well, and that helped. So um, that, that atmosphere, that environment helped keep the players in effect. Yeah, yeah. It helped keep the players. And, and, and it feels like Mark Noble still embodies that, doesn't he? I mean, from the 100%. way we understand he is around the training ground and yeah. the way he is with yeah. the younger players. Yeah, I went to watch the youth team Friday morning. They played a, a game against Crystal Palace. Um, top of the table clash, really. I think West Ham was second and Palace were third. It was a good game. I really enjoyed watching it. Just over at Little Heath there. I'd, spoke, I'd seen Kevin Keane in the week um, and he had done a coaching... when. Going off at a tangent, I'm chairman of the London Coaches Association, London oh. Football Coaches Association. And so every bi-monthly, we have a, a coaching session. And I invited Kevin to come and do our first one after, after all the restrictions and COVID. Yeah, nice. So he said to me, we've got this game Friday. And um, we were talking about Mark Noble. Um, you know, he'd come into the end. I said, what's he going to do? Is he going to come and work in the academy? Is he not 100% sure? They're going to try and keep him involved. And, they're naming one of the pitches at Chadwell Heath. They're going to put, they're building a new AstroTurf artificial pitch for the academy and they're going to name it the Mark Noble Arena. I don't know if that's common knowledge, but you've heard it here first. If it's not <laughs> right, well, that's good. <laughs> and quite right, and, uh, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, that, that's, uh, that's going to be nice. Uh, you hear terrific things about him, don't you? It's yeah. I mean, me, 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 Mark, yeah. I mean, he, Everything you hear about him, he's so enthusiastic about everything. Yeah. Um, he, he loves football. And one of his boys, his young boys, training at the academy. So he's always around the academy. On his days off, he comes in to watch Kevin's team train. And, you know, he's on the periphery of it all. And, yeah. Uh, he don't need to do it, but he's got a love for the club and he's got a love for football. And that, that shines <clears> through. And he's been a magnificent servant, let's be fair. 100%. So, Tony, Tony, what what is it? What is it that sort of jumps out about uh, a young player that you think might be part of the reason that he makes it or gets up to the sort of high level? Similarly, I suppose another question would be, um, you know, is there anything that that immediately separates off two thirds of them that makes you think they're not gonna they're not gonna make it to the sort of top level. Are there any sort of things that you've seen or any examples uh you know that you saw that made you feel that way? I think the first thing I'd look for is is first and foremost, you know, obviously you're gonna look at his ability. Yeah. That that goes without saying. And and then I'd look the most important thing for me, if he's got ability and he's got some promise. Mm. Is his character? Yeah, yeah. And what is his character like? Is he is he dedicated? Is he passionate? I mean, Mark Noble, you wouldn't say anything other than from the day he walked in the door, he's passionate. From the day yeah. he walked onto the pitch, he's telling people what to do. Get there, come here, give me the ball, give us it, get get running. Yeah, you know, he's you know he's he, that's that's Mark, you know, and he's still doing it today, and um, you know whatever how many years later. So it's about their character. 
and and you'll you'll see the interview in the book. And I had a long long chat with Frank Lampard, and uh, he was saying to me that when he was fifteen, he was nowhere near the best player in the team. He, a boy named he said a boy named Lee Hodges. Have you known the name? Yeah, boy Lee yeah. Hodges, Hodges, tiny he Lee said, Hodges. Yeah, he said he, he, he Miles better player than me. He said Joe Keith played left back. He said really really talented player. Yeah. And Oji didn't make it one because of his injuries, his knees. Yeah. Bad, mm. bad knee injuries. And he, he, he was a good player. Lee Hodges was a really, really good player, even for his small in stature. Yeah. You know, he had a character about him. He had a, he had a bit about him. He had strength and yeah, dedication yeah, liked, and passion. Yeah, I like Lee Hodges. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, 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 and Frank, because of his dad and his dad behind him, had this passion to work hard. And his dad identified his shortcomings very early on and uh, until about 15 he was he, he hadn't grown so he had put on a bit looked like he'd put on a bit of weight it's only it's only where they're going for going for growth phase. you know coaches are more educated about those things now about players going through adolescence and growth spurts and you know and, and even rio had back problems when he was a youngster because yeah, he yeah. you know he shot up very quickly mm-hmm. and it was frank's dedication uh, and his his passion for the game and, he, and his character, that he's going to work harder than the next guy. And anyone wants his place, he's going to work harder than him and, and, and main, maintain that passion and that character and that willing, and that mental strength. Because yeah. there's some players that have got a load of talent, but the moment they hit a problem, you know, the, world's cr- you know, the walls are caving in and the world's crashing around them. Yeah. Whereas you've got, to have, you've got to have a strength of mind to go, okay, you know, the ladder to success isn't straight up. Sometimes you fall off. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you've got to get back on it again. So those characters are, are, are crucial. Yeah. To go all the way to the top. Two young players that really sort of, it sticks in my mind that they came onto the pitch and they looked like they be, belonged there were uh, Junior Stanislas when he came through yeah. under Avram Grant because he came through a similar time to Zabon Hines but Stanislas yeah. just had a Stanislas had a swagger about him that made yeah. you think he sort of belongs at this level it almost doesn't yeah. matter you know how good he was and he and he was good uh he just looked like he belonged there he looked like he wanted to be there belong there he didn't hide and in fact he almost kind of wanted to show everyone what he could do from the moment he stepped on the pitch and the other one was Declan when when um David Moyes played him as part of a back three first game out on the pitch he's shouting and pointing and telling yeah. his fellow defenders where to be where danger's starting to brew you know he's just reading the whole game straight from you know age 18 running out onto the pitch and, and it's a, yeah. such well, a notable such a notable thing with both of those guys I thought when when Declan first came into the club um, I was still the academy manager at that point and um, he'd come in our scout that time, Dave Hunt brought me because uh, Chelsea had released him. And the first thing I noticed about him was those traits that you see. That he walked onto the pitch, he had an air of aura about him, a quiet aura about him. He wasn't loud. Mm. He had a quiet aura about him. And he just went about the job, you know, in a in a passionate way. He loved what yeah. he could see. He loved what he was doing. And that's the first thing that hit me. I thought, I like this kid. I like this. And then you, you, could, you could see he could pass it. You could see he had an eye for a pass and where to pass it. But we're really bad, this kid. And, you know, we'll sign this kid. We're not sure about what, what he'll be in the future, but we'll sign him initially. Yeah. And that's what we did. And Junior, 
been nice to have run-ins with Junior between 16 and 18 when he was a scholar because he, all he wanted to do was do his thing. He didn't want to be part of the team at times. He, he was, right. I don't know, he, he, he was still at a, an adolescent attitude rather than a yeah. professional attitude. And I used, to have, I used to have a few run-ins with Junior. And when I saw him a few years later, he moved on and he was back. He went to Burnley and then he was back at Bournemouth with Eddie Howe. Yeah. Um, I bumped into him and he said to me, I wish I'd listened to you with number 17, 18, he said. <laughs> really? He said to me, he said, because I've realised now I've got a family. He said, I've got, if you want to be successful, you have to work hard at it. Here you go, Junior. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, so at least the pennies eventually dropped. I thought that was good. I was really I was pleased to hear it, to be honest. That's good. Yeah. yeah, but again, that's character, isn't it? How much do you want it? And if, and when yeah. you get dropped or you don't play or you play poorly or the crowd are on your back, I mean, would you throw your toys out the pram and get the ump? And, or do you go, no, I'm going to work a little bit harder to make it better next time? Is and, that... Uh, it takes a special you, character. Yeah. Is that, I mean, this little story you've just mentioned about that um, Stanislas, I mean, is that one of the really satisfying things for you in terms of, of, of what you've done in your career is that you know you are about creating footballers and bringing footballers through and so on but it's also about shaping people human beings isn't it but it's edu- you, you're, you're, you're an educator as well aren't you? you're not just a 100%. sporting coach you, you're no, no. you know because a lot of the people who come through your hands are not going to make it um at, at, at top level i mean but i think of, you know a lot a lot of the time i think when i think of the academy i don't just think of those fantastic names we've been talking about but people who've gone on and had really good careers in the game like jamie victory yeah. and grant mccann and people like that yeah. who um you know didn't 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 make it at top level but but um you, you, did that must give you satisfaction as well mustn't it hundred uh, percent you know leon britain springs to mind and yeah. um, although we had to pay a lot of money compensation for it at the time, um, which I think was a bit obscene, I must be honest. But nevertheless, that's in the past. But Leon, what a fantastic career he had. He's, he started at Swansea in the lowest league and he's come yeah. all the way up to the Premiership. And his, his passing stats were on a par with Messi at one time. Yeah. And it was in, there was a big article in the paper. So what I've got pleasure in, in that, and, I, and, I, and I, I occasionally still speak to Leon, what I've got great pleasure in that was that our judgment to bring him into the club wasn't wrong. Yeah. In no, terms of no. he had that talent. He just didn't have at that time he wasn't the right player in the right place. He didn't get that opportunity at that time. Yeah. But uh, a good, good player and a good, good profession. Small in stature. Yeah. But a good good player. So yeah, I get a lot yeah. of pleasure in the Jamie Victories, the Christian Popos, mm. Gary Alexanders, and players of that ilk. There's there's loads out there. Well, for the uh, 99 team, uh, you know, Garcia yeah. and Newton went on to yeah, have yeah. sort of decent, have, went on yeah. to have decent careers without yeah, necessarily being in the top flight. Um, uh, w- one thing I heard recently that, that sort of stuck in my head was, was um, someone I spoke to had like a nephew or, or had a friend who had a son uh, who was, uh, went, spent quite a few years in Chelsea's youth system. And ultimately he was let go because they felt he, he didn't have uh, stamina for 90 minutes. He didn't right. have an engine for 90 minutes. Does that happen sometimes? Is that How old that... would that boy be? Can you remember? Do you know? I, I think he was sort of saying sort of by the time they let him go, he was 16, 17 or something. I, I wouldn't, I personally, I don't know, I don't know Chelsea's uh, no. policy there, but 
Um, me personally, I would never let a player go because he lacks stamina. Right. Because I'd because right. well, at the end of the day, being this seventy-year-old running marathons, so you know, yeah. a sixteen-year-old, you can you can get him fitter. Yeah. Yeah. If if he's got if he's got the will to do it. Yeah. Know, if he's got if he's got the the dedication to say, okay, I'm finding after seventy minutes in the game, I'm wilting a little bit because me my fitness levels are dropping. Well, that means I'm not as fit as really I should be. And right. especially in to, especially in today's game where we've got sports science involved in the academy in the first team in the in the twenty threes, there's sports science. So there's now there's now sports data that can that can show you you know, the runs you're doing, yeah. the level of the runs you're doing, the sprints you're doing. So you could get a print out of the player and say, like, look at this, the last three games, look at the way you've dropped off in the last 70 minutes and say, yeah. okay, why, why do you think that is? So you might go, well, I don't know. You know, it's a lot of young players would do. So you'd say, well, it, you know, you, you're not as fit as you should be, so we've got to put you on a regime that's going to, you know, get you back up to speed. Yeah, so, you know, yeah couple of days a week you might have to do a little you might have to come back and do a little bit more in the afternoons with us you know, with the, with the fitness guys yeah so yeah. You, you could show them evidence now for, for those things so uh, but I've never in my time there ever, ever released a player because he's not um he's not as fit yeah. as he should be or lacks stamina there was some, I, I there might some release player. a player because he's lazy but not yeah because he's yeah yeah. There are. There must be some. There must be some that sort of just naturally have a really good engine, like like Steve Lomas. You just always sense that he could yeah. just run and run and run and run. Yeah. Go into 120 minutes, he'd still be running. They've just got a natural, you know, physique, like a kind of you know Kenyan long distance runner or something. That they they're just gonna they can just stay running all the time. Yeah. And then, you know, others have to work a bit more at that fitness. Yeah, you, ca- you can't get everybody up to that level. Being Billy no. Bond springs to mind. He was, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> even, even when he was the manager, he was he was the top of the running stats. Yeah. Because, he, you know, he could, he could run all day and you give Bill a challenge and, he, you know, he'd make sure that he, you know, he, he won that challenge or, or he'd work at it until he won the challenge. Mm-hmm. But that was, but I mean, our red nap was the same. When, he, when I was a young player at West Ham and Harry was still at the club as, and Harry ran like a gazelle. He could run all day, skinny as a rake, but could run all day, yeah. and um, found it easy. And a lot of you know, and that's that's physiological. That's you know, that's something you're you're born with, really. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of having that capacity to be able to do that, but um, you know, other, others uh, have to work a lot, a lot, a lot yes. harder at it. Uh, but it's it's recognizing it as as a coach, as a department. Uh, as uh, nowadays is nowadays is no excuses for that because yeah. of, of the of the members of staff that are there fitness nutrition mm. you know diet etc etc sports science even you know you know physio uh, psychological now you mm. know if you've got mm. a problem you know you imagine Yarmolenko is the man at the moment because of scoring on Saturday Sunday you know that the, the uh, sports psychologists who have been Having you know, perhaps some long chats with Yamo and mm. saying to him, you know, how can we help you, and how can you, help, how can we help you concentrate? So there's always mm. help within a football club now to get people over different problems. Yeah, it feels like David Moyes has made uh, the team sort of quite a bit fitter. Uh, part of the, mm. you know, the, our last, our sort of uh, escaping relegation year. 
up to 2020 and then 2021, our sixth place finish year, uh, we were staying in in games for much longer and, and you know, seemed to yes. uh, be still running at the end. That seems to be something he's uh, focused on or, or is, you know, prioritised. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think he was unfairly dismissed first time around. Yeah, uh, I think Pellegr- yeah. I think Pellegrini, fantastic record, a fantastic manager. I don't think he was right for West Ham. Being honest, I don't think he was right for us. And I think his year there wasn't very good. And David, when he came back, I know because I've told I was told by someone who was, who was inside and in the club. So I'm not you know I'm not you know, mm. I'm not there anymore. But he said to me that he had a meeting with the players first day back. And he produced all these stats, the running stats of the team, individually and as a group. Mm. And out of the 19 Premier League teams, we were uh, at the 20 Premier League teams, we were 19th on the list of running, right down the bottom of our stats. And the first thing he said, you know, we've we've got to get fitter. I'm not saying you're not fit, but we've got to get fitter. Mm. And I think he's got us fitter and he's made us hard to beat. Because he's he's he's, he's, he's instilled better organisation. If you've got good organisation, you've got a good work rate, and you've got decent players, you know it's a, you know it's a, it's a good starting point for winning more football matches than you lose. And uh, Touchwood, he's uh, you know he, I thought I thought the Aston Villa game was going to be a sticky one, but uh, yeah. we come through that, and now it's down to Thursday. Yeah, massive. That, that yeah. looked like. Tony, that looked like a game, didn't it? Exactly yeah. what you were saying. We were we were organised, knew what we were doing. Everyone knew their job. Um, even when we had a couple of injuries, you know, uh, Fred just came on, just slotted in, and and um, Ben Johnson, you know, looked good when he switched to left back. And it was looked like a team that was more than the sum of its parts against a team that was less than some of its parts. You know, they yeah. they got some good yeah. players, Villa, but they didn't seem as coherent as we were on the pitch. No, I didn't. I didn't go to the games. Uh, Sunday, I couldn't get there Sunday, but um, certainly um, all the reports are read and saw the highlights. You know, we more than deserved the win. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think we're, you know, we're we're in a good place at the moment, and I think hope David gets the backing he deserves in the summer with um, some quality signings. Yeah. I'm sure he will. How, how, he will. how important we we talk about how well David Moyes has done, but he's got. Uh, Stuart Pearce, he's got Kevin Nolan, he's got Kevin Keane and Steve Potts and people like that, in, you know, further down in the coaching ladder. How important yeah. is it to have players who understand, to have people around you who really understand West Ham? I remember when Pardew, when Alan Pardew arrived, I remember he gave an interview where he said, I didn't realise how big West Ham was. And, you know, and he thought that was a kind of an odd thing coming from him. Is it important to have that spine that understands what it is about West Ham? Even They don't have to come from East London. You know, no. like Kevin Nolan, but they understand what the club's about. No, I, like me, me personally, I think it, I think they should. I think the, like I, I look at the academy now, and you've got Kevin in charge of the 18s. You've got Stevie Potts with the under 23s with Mark Robson, who was an ex West Ham player. Yeah, you've you've got um, Elliot Ward and Zavon Hines working in the juniors in the academy now. The the under 13s and 14s. Yeah. And um, no, it, it, I think it's in a good place. And I think, you know, they understand the values of the club. Paul Heffer is still there on a, on a very part-time basis, but he's still there mentoring one or two of the younger coaches. And Paul's, you know, um, been there quite a while now. Mm. 
So, and, and there's a spine running through, as you say, Kevin Nolan, the next player, Stuart Pearce, the next player, yeah. David Moyes, you know, an experienced manager. You know, and I think that's the type of manager that West Ham needed. And I think some might have said, oh, he's old school. And no, 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 he's, he's, he's new school because he, he knows how to get an underachieving team, as we were, I think, uh, into a better place. And I think we've done that. I think we've done that. And I think yeah. uh, it's important now, can we go that next level with one or two quality signings that keep us challenging for the next foreseeable future, challenging for that top six? Yeah, yeah. And I think... Talking, uh, of, Elliot yeah. Ward, talking of Elliot Ward, he's a little bit of an unsung hero for me because like him and Anton really yeah. settled that central defensive pairing and got us yeah. up. They got yeah, us 100%. up. 100%. That for yeah. me, they're they're almost responsible for bringing us back up because we, we sort off, of but yeah yeah we didn't off, have off. a great season that no. second season in the championship after we failed to get through for the playoffs in uh, two thousand and four uh, the, the, the four Palace five, game yeah yeah the four five season wasn't wasn't all that good until the end we really came into form as we went yeah. into those playoffs uh we were sort of a form team by then and i think a lot of it was elliot coming into the team with anton yeah. and the partnership yeah, they yeah. formed really yeah. solidified us and so well, i've always I got agree. a place in my heart for elliot ward i've got yeah. to say i think i think they were uh undersung in terms of the success that season yeah because yeah. they come in, I think they came in as a partnership. I might be a game or two out here, Wigan away. And Wigan away at that particular time, uh, we're, a, you know, a, a decent outfit. Tough game. Good yeah. outfit. Yeah. Tough game away. And I think we won 2-1 away to Wigan. And two young centre-backs that had played together in the academy and yeah. the under-18s with, you know, with me and, and, and got progressed. And they got their chance. And then they, they solidified that defence for me. Absolutely. And, and got us through uh, into the playoffs and eventually to win the playoffs, you know, at the Millennium. And then there was Mark, Mark Noble, Elliot and uh, Anton, three players there from the academy, that, you know, played in that Millennium game. And I sat there watching that game and from behind the goal up somewhere, up there somewhere. And it was, it was, it was great to see yeah. it. I tried yeah. to get on the pitch to celebrate, but the security <laughs> wouldn't let me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what was Joe Cole like then when he first showed up? You know, he's sort of oh, one yeah, of the kind of most talked about footballers that we've produced in the last, you know, 20 or so years. Uh, what must have it have been like when he turned up? Well, when he first turned up... Um, um, Jimmy Hampson, who was um, head of scout, said, uh, he said, we've got this kid coming in tonight, he said, or today. He said, we were playing a game. It was at, it was at Chapel Hill. It was an afternoon. It must have been a school holiday. It was an afternoon game. And uh, I'd seen him in training during the schoolboy evenings, and he was just audacious. And, and, but when you saw him, it, it always made you smile because he, he, played, he played street football, really. It was, yeah. He was a street footballer basically. And uh, Harry Rudnett was the manager and we said to Harry, look, Harry, we've got a game this afternoon over on the, the railway pitch, as we used to call it. It's now an AstroTurf pitch, but it was a grass pitch then. And um, I said, if you get 10 minutes, come out and have a look at this young player we've, uh, we've just brought into the club. He's, he's, he's got something special. 
He said, yeah, yeah, I'll be out, I'll be out, you know, as usual, he's on the phone. And <laughs> anyway, he came out and watched this kid play, Joe, and he, the, things he, he said, he, the things he did, like the tricks he did, and, and it, was, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just a circus trick or a circus performer, it was effective. It, you know, he yeah. affected the game. He'd beat people, run at people, you know, slip ball through their legs or flick it over their legs and, and so on. And um, we had a security guy on the gate there, and his name was Dave, and Dave the Gate, we used to call him. And he said, where's Dave the Gate? He says, Ariel, what's he on about? Where's Dave the Gate? He said, go and get Dave the Gate. So Dave the Gate come up with a pitch. He said, Harry, he said, Larry, lock those gates. He said, don't let that boy out with his parents until I've spoken to him. He said, can't lock those gates. and No one goes out until I've spoken to that boy's parents. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously Joe, you know, you know I think he was, 14 then or something, you know, whatever, yeah. 13. And he was just so cheeky and audacious. But uh, he, made, he made you laugh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the right sort of way. Because it's something you, did, you just didn't see in kids. Yeah. It's just something you didn't see in kids. He was a street footballer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, interesting. Were there, are there any players that you, you know, you felt... Um, uh, you know, disappointed they didn't go further or they didn't sort of meet their kind of the full potential. Does anyone sort of jump out? Yeah, I suppose it's, you know, it's difficult to say that in terms yeah. of because you, you're sort of pointing the finger at them a little bit. But yeah. I suppose the one, that, the one that springs to mind a little bit is maybe Adam Newton mm. from the 99 Youth Cup team. Because, yeah. you know, if you'd put your money on him, you think this kid's got to have a career in the game. I mean, you did have a career in the game, but for West Ham, you know, playing at, yeah. Playing for West Ham, and Harry, to be fair to Hatch, you know, he did give him his his opportunity, and he played him in a in a, in a couple of games. Played him in a UEFA UEFA uh, league game or whatever yeah. it was yeah. at that particular time, and he he didn't perform. He, he played a little bit inhibited. He didn't play with that same, if you like, freedom that he played playing for me in the youth team. Yeah, not it's not the same pressures, of course, but you know that's maybe. A real disappointment. I really felt he could have gone on and, and done better. And uh, But he had a great career. He's got yeah. no regrets. I've seen him recently, last year or two, and, he, he, you know, he's he's got no regrets. He still plays with it. He's still got a smile on his face. And he's had a good good career. Bertie Braley could have done better. Just got right. a bit carried away with the, the success he had as a young youth player. Just got carried away with it a little bit and, didn't, he could have been, but he played for every club in Essex when he left West Ham. He played from Tilbury. Played at Billericay, didn't he? He played yeah. everywhere. He must have had 20 clubs in the, you know, in the Essex area. So, And he's got his own little coaching school now, and I still I still WhatsApp him now and again. Oh, yeah, great. And he's got a little coaching school, and then he, he coaches, and he keeps happening. Have you got any tips for me? <laughs> I, I, know, I, know you don't, I know you say you don't want to kind of point the finger. What about Stuart Slater? Is Stuart, I mean, I think Stuart's biggest problem was he shouldn't have gone to Celtic. Yeah. I think that was his problem because he, he, he had his career before him at West Ham. He was still developing. He was still young. And obviously, um, what happened was Liam Brady was West Ham, a West Ham player, a new, a new Stuart because he had played with him. Yeah. Liam leaves West Ham, gets the Celtic job and courts Stuart to go up to Celtic. And um, I don't think he was ready for that, you know, that glass mm. bowl up there that's uh, Celtic mm. Rangers. 
I don't think he was ready for that, for the, for the passion of that up there. But I don't think, unless you've experienced it, I don't think people are or do. Mm. And uh, I think that was probably, looking back, he might say different, that he might look a bank upon that and said he perhaps went there too, too early. Mm. Mm. Maybe should have stayed at West Ham another couple of seasons and then moved on if that's what he wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, that, Stuart was a very, very good player. And, uh, you know, circumstances, agents. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And more recently, I suppose the other player that, and still could turn it round, the one I would suggest is Reese Oxford as well, who, who again, yes, when, he, when, yeah. he, when he first breaks that team, you think, my goodness, what a player. Yeah. And then, and it just hasn't quite happened, does it? I mean, I know he's gone abroad and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, obviously, Reese was breaking into the breaking into the attention of everybody uh, as I was leaving, as I left the club. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew him, and you know, I'd signed him as a schoolboy years before. You know, I knew his mum, nice lady, and um, his his problem was that he got elevated into sort of a star status, in inverted commas, too early. Yeah. And I don't think his agent of the time did him too many favours. Was whispering him, do this, you've got to do that, you've got to ask for this, you've got to ask for that. And I think he got, he got led along, I wouldn't say a path, but I think it just turned him a little bit. And the promising player that he was and should have been he, he, he sort of just drifted and his dedication, I don't know what it was. I, I mean, I wasn't there then at that particular time, but it, it, it was, they were trying to make him a star before he was a star, mm-hmm. before he, he established himself. I mean, Slavin gave him his debut on that game at High... At, Austin, yeah. At the Emirates. Austin, yeah. yeah. And we won 2-0, I believe. And you yeah. know, I can remember Niall Quinn as he come off the pitch and a star is born. And I, and I, I cringe watch, listening to it because it was, you know, that's the worst thing you can say to a, a youngster, really, unless he's got people around and going, keep your feet on the ground. You ain't yeah. done anything yet. Um, and, and hopefully the experience he's getting abroad now, uh, he comes back and, and he establishes himself somewhere and becomes, you know, a top, top player. But um, mm. I don't know. I've lost touch with what he's doing, et cetera. Mm. But I, I was disappointed in the way he... He should have been, could have been, but didn't quite, mm. didn't quite, um, didn't quite make it. And his attitude changed slightly, but you know that that happens with kids. You know that happens yeah. with them, and it's you know how they deal with that and how they deal with the disappointment that comes with perhaps not being picked. So I'm not in touch. So I don't really know, to be honest. Mm. But just, it, it's just me on the outside looking at what sure. went on after I left. Yeah, you know? yeah of course. Yeah. I'm just wondering, Tony, when you said when you first went to the club and you said when you when you came in at a coaching capacity and you said you weren't given a, a sort of manual on the West Ham way, you know, you said no. you weren't given that. And more recently, of course, Sam Allardyce used to take the mick out of that a bit, didn't he? He used to say there is yeah. no such thing as a West Ham way. Yeah. Is there still a West Ham way, Tony? Um, I'd like to think that... Um, the principles that I try to establish in young players in terms of attitude, behaviour, 
improving themselves technically because that was my big thing. I've got to improve them technically. I've got to improve them physically. I've got to improve their game understanding. I've got to improve their positional understanding. And I've got to try to improve their dedication and attitude to the game in general. And I felt if I could do that uh, by teaching them these simple basics, and I say they're simple basics, they're not easy to install because you've got some players that don't want to know mm. or some players that know better, think they know better. <clears throat> I'd still like to think with Kevin, and I've had some long conversations with Kevin King, and I've spoken to him about, do you still do this? Do you still do that? What about this? Do you do that? And he says, Tony said, I'm introducing all the stuff I used to do with you when you were my coach. Because obviously I was Kevin's youth team coach. He said, I've, I've realised now that getting back to those basics are so important in the foundation years, the early years, that you install simple basics. You know, the third man running, and, you know, play the way you're facing. Simple little things. Um, you know, we used to always to do lots of third man running, little movements. Little, and I spoke, I, was, I jumped in, I bumped into Rio when he was playing at Man United. And from a distance, he saw me and he started laughing. <laughs> As he walked, I said, what are you laughing at? He went, you're still doing third man running? <laughs> so he said, give me, he said, I said, yeah. He said, we used to do that every day, didn't we? So I said, yep, we used to do it every day. He said, it never left me. He said, it never left me. He said, and it's part of the game now, up, back and in, up, back and in. You know, mm. all done one touch, all done with speed and technique. And I used to, I used to work on the perfecting that technique now the ball in the lay back ball the forward run you know the trigger of the forward run timing of that so those simple basics and Rio said never left me and he's playing for Man United and winning Champions Leagues and 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 uh, premierships so you know if it's good enough for him it's good enough for the younger players of today so and Kevin's trying to introduce lots of those so I'd like to think that the West Ham way which was in a nutshell you'd say the West Ham way is to play a fast, forward-passing movement, forward-passing game with, you know, interchange and movement and obviously action around the goals and so on. But it's about getting the ball forward, playing quickly, playing early, you know, lots of movement, forward running, uh, play forward, run forward, those little traits. And again, it's all from Ron and John, but you can just... All those things there. I've not word, not said one word about defending, because that's all we used to concentrate on. <laughs> yeah, it was just all those things. <laughs> well, it felt, it felt like we were seeing something like that. Well, you know, with the uh, 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 last year under Moyes, and in the sort of you know his second half of the season with the COVID interruption, um, trying to kind of keep us up because that that sort of low possession. But on the break, moving the ball really quickly, you know, yeah. win the ball back, get it to Fornells. Fornells puts it in, in, you know, in Antonio's path. Someone gets up there to slot it in from across from Antonio and like, boom, four moves and the ball's in yeah. the other team's yeah. neck. Felt like we were seeing a kind of um, that, yeah, that ethos of, you know, move the ball quickly, progressive, yeah. positive, you know. Yeah. Play uh, forward, and, run forward, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Jesse Lingard fitted that really well, I thought. Yeah, he, well. did, yeah. he did. He yeah. did. Yeah. And if you've got players like Jesse, and even like Declan, the show to get the, with the uh, second goal on Sunday, but if you've got players that can carry the ball, 
you know, and, and, and take people out and carry the ball and create openings in space. Because if I've taken someone out of the game, someone else has got to, you know, try and close me down. And that should free up another, you know, another West Ham player. And Declan did that perfectly, you know, and yeah. did it. And um, obviously, um, Fournell's got the second goal, which ultimately was the winner. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there are traits in our game that we can do that. Uh, and we have done that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that, that the West Ham way still exists, Good. but it, it's mm-hmm. in a tougher it's in a tougher environment. The Premier League is unforgiving, yeah. and uh, it's not always it's not always sometimes it's not always going to be pretty in terms of it's not always going to flow. It's not always going to be up back and in. You know, one touch, one touch, one touch, and cross shot goal. You know, it's not always going to be as pretty as that. Sometimes you have to grind it a bit more, and I think David's brought that in defensive organisation, you know, and he sees something in Dawson. What a good sign and he's been for the money we yeah. paid for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that, it, it, he, knows, he knows what he's going to get with him. And um, it's a shame Egg Bonnard, because, you know, he, he was yeah. starting up a great partnership with Kurt Zuma. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, injury curtailed him. But no, we've hung in there. We've hung in there. We're still in that top six, chasing that top six. And hopefully we can do the business on Thursday and carry on the run. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Any more questions, gentlemen, for Tony? Or should we let him go? <laughs> I think, think we've, 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 we've kept him talking for a long time and it's been absolutely fascinating. Really, really just yeah. brilliant listening to you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, it's Phil. Fantastic, Tony. Real honour. And uh, very much enjoyed your uh, testimonial in 2010, by the way. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, I was able to bring my young son who'd never got to see Paolo play, for example. Yeah. Um, and just, if you don't mind, I think it's a bit of a story how you got Paolo to play in that game. Do you yeah. mind just... No, I, um, I, I knew his agent um, quite well because obviously they're not always agents to one player. You see, you see him around on the circuit. Yeah. I said to him, I've got a testimonial in about six weeks. I said, uh, any chance of... Um, Asking Paolo, he was living in Rome at the time. Any chance of Paolo coming to uh, guest and play in, in the testimonial? He said, "I'll ask him." Simple as. And he and the, the news come back. Paolo said he'd love to play. I said, "Well, tell him I'll put him up in a hotel. I'll pay his, his expenses over." You know, I just thought, you know, having Paolo De Cani, I might just put a few more bums on seats, you know, <laughs> as you do in <laughs> testimonials. And um, and uh, he came over. And he was the only non-academy player in the whole squad. So I had players, I had about a dozen players that didn't play, like the Alvin Martins, Paul Allens, Bobby Barneses, and yeah. that little group. There's a few of them. And then all the, about 20-odd players that, that wanted to play. Even John Terry, J- John JT, come back yeah, and played. Yeah. And I asked John, and he said, yeah, of course I will. And um, Paolo came back, and he said to me at half-time, he said to me, Tony, he said, uh, I will play. I can't do his accent, but I'll try. He said, I will play half a game. No, Paolo, just go out there for 10 minutes. Just go out there and play. So we come in at half time. I said, Paolo, okay, you come off. I said, Gary, Gary Alexander. So you, you, you're coming. He went, no, 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 no. He said, I want 10 more minutes. So I said, yeah, 10 more minutes. He said, I want the crowd's adulation as I come off. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> So, <laughs> 10 minutes into the game, he come, we sub him off, and then all the crowd on cue, Paolo, do you can't. Oh, 
And he come up and he get. I don't know. I've got a picture of it in the archives. He's hugging me, and what he's saying to me here, he's whispering in my ear, is going, "Thank you for this wonderful experience." You know, ever, the, ever the, it's, you know, he was ever the. Uh, what can I say? Very emotional. He emotional, played emotionally. Yeah. He was very, very emotional about all sorts. Yeah. Yeah, but tonight yeah. it was great. And he never charged me a bean, which was even better. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you, Tony. Thank you so okay, much for guys. coming on this. You're someone that we yeah. wanted to talk to. You know, we've talked to, you know, most of the boys were in 86. We've had, a, you know, uh, Julian's been on, Alvin's been on, George, uh, you know, Collison's been on, Collins. But someone we've yeah. always wanted to talk to you is you. It's all to is you because... You know, we, as as fans standing on the terraces, you're wondering just what's happening behind the scenes and just to get a bit of insight about what it's like, you know, what yeah. it's like on the training ground, what it's like in the dressing room, what it's like, you know, uh, um, quite often, you know, the boys of 86 do a lot of that. They've got their sort of stories and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. They're very, yeah. very entertaining stories. But sometimes it's it's someone who comes on and gives you this feeling of what it was like to run out on a pitch, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. We, we you know, um, Martin Allen, oddly, had really good sort of uh, insights and uh, um, Alvin, obviously. But, you know, mm. someone we absolutely wanted to talk to ever since we started this podcast in 2007 is you. So it, it's a oh, huge... thank you. It's a huge privilege to talk oh, to you. Incredible honour, mate. Absolutely. And, and, thank um, you. Thank you. And let me uh, remind everyone, uh, it's uh, Tony's book is A Lifetime in Football at West Ham United. I've got a copy in front of me, so there it is. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, published <laughs> on the 7th. Shall I get, hang on, shall I get, a, shall I get a picture of you holding it? Tony? Oh, yeah, yeah. Got it, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, the, the publisher sent me, I only got these yesterday. Just oh, for, great, um, great. From, from a family, so. Um, yeah, published on the 7th of April. Pre-order it now, as yes. have I done. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much, uh, Tony. Thank Garland. you, guys. In this podcast, thank you, all me. Jim Grant, yeah. uh, Mark Sandell, Tony Carr, come on, you irons. Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Beer52.com. Every month, Beer52 sends a new case of beer with a different theme, usually from a different part of the world. And now they're offering Stop Hammer Time listeners a free case of craft beer. That's eight delicious craft beers from some of the best breweries on the planet. Simply go to www.beer52.com, that's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer and cover the £5.95 for postage to claim your beer now. Members have tasted beer from 40 different countries spanning five continents. You also get a magazine which delves into the theme, beer and producers and two tasty snacks to wash down with your beer. You can choose a case of light beer only or a mixture of dark and light. There's no minimum commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time. Don't forget, that's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer to claim your free case now. That's www.beer52.com forward slash hammer. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.